Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Well, hey, hey, friends. Welcome to a bonus ode of the podcast. The uh, surprise that I said was going to happen two weeks ago that just finally happening this week because grad school and life is crazy and there's lots of stuff. But the whole point is welcome back to the Comic Palooza, my friend. Uh, way back, I think it was like May, I was like, grad school's ending and I'm going to catch up with all the comics. And I did catch up sort of with the Marvel. Of course, there's been more comics since I did that bonus ode talking about the Marvel. But I was like, I need to get to the DC stuff. And as of like the first of this year, I would basically caught up with all the DC comics that I had. Of course, more comics have arrived since then that I haven't gotten a chance to read. It's a never-ending, never-ending avalanche of comics. But uh, I did I did catch up with a lot, a lot of comics. I don't even know how many way more probably like 100 plus that's usually how many comics end up being in these comic paloozas but i think it's time that we talk about the distinguished competition as stanley called them the dc comics and uh grad school grad school's still going but uh i have a little bit of time but the reason it's a bonus note, of course, is because I know some people don't want to just listen to me ramble about comic books for over an hour. Uh, and so I make it a bonus note so you can if you want to. But then you'll have the, the usual content every week that somehow continuously comes out. Of course, you're like, Wookie, there were two waybacks. Yeah, you're right. There, there were two waybacks, but podcasting is a dangerous business. <laughs> That's for you, Danny. Uh but yeah, we're, we're just going to get going without further ado. A long episode of me catching up with all the DC. So I hope hope you enjoy it. I'm going to start off with Heroes in Crisis, issues 5 to 9. Last time I mentioned this comic was in episode 129, which, which is way back. <laughs> Speaking of way backs. But uh, I collected the rest of this 9-issue miniseries, and then I read and enjoyed the hell out of this story written by Tom King. Art by Clay Man, color by Tomei Murray. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle together, and then Harley Quinn and Batgirl teaming up with Superman dealing with the trauma of heroism revealed to the world through the details of Sanctuary. Then there's the whole point: uh, a lot of supers were murdered, and possibly by Harley Quinn or possibly by Booster Gold, and maybe Wally West. And then the heart-wrenching testimonials of various heroes that we know and love, and some that we probably forgot about. Um, then you get to more experiences of Harley and Wally at Sanctuary, coupled with Nark the Caveman from Teen Titans in the 1970s. Yes, friends, you can trust Tom King to tell a bonkers story. Harley and Booster fight more in awesome ways, and then there's more mystery for Wally West and Poison Ivy. The real, the reveal of what went down is just as wild and crazy as what's been going on in this book, and I was in for every every single panel of it of course it all seems like an unbreakable loop but then you get to the final issue which is crazy since uh the penultimate issue just leaves you breathless it ends just as good as it began and i've heard some people weren't into this miniseries but i wonder if they read the same baddest story i did a lot of times in my life i wonder like do i get different versions of things is my brain really wired that differently but i think this was good i highly recommend anyone to pick up this as a trade kudos to tom king and i guess since we talked about a great story Involving Wally West, it's only right that we head to another speedster, let's run over slosh style, to The Flash, 
issue 62 to 81 and annual number two writer joshua williamson artists include christian deuce on 62 minkyu young on 63 rafa sandoval and jordi tarragona on 64 to 65 and 76 to 79 scott collins on 66 to 69 and 80 to 81 howard porter on 70 to 75 um, Christian Deuce again on 75. Wow, so he did 62 and 75. Uh, colors include Luis Guerrero on 62, 66 to 69, 75 and 80 to 81. Hi-Fi on 63 and 70 to 75. Tomei Murray on 64 to 65 and 76 to 77. And Arif Prianto on 78 to 79. And you should already be in like, wow, Wookiee's going to cover lots of issues. Yes, I am. I really am. But this all starts with Flash fighting an army of baddies led by Roulette and Zandia while on a quest to understand the other forces which contend with the Speed Force and the Royal Flush Gang plays a role here there too. There's a new baddie named Psyche, then the inevitable showdown with Gemini, the lover duo that lives by eating the energies of superheroes, and the the way issue 63 ends tying into Heroes in Crisis um, is crazy good and you know that uh, the flash is going to hurt your heart in annual number two barry allen deals with his feelings over the sanctuary tragedy but also mixes it up with godspeed and impulse also mina and young wally and avery ho the flash of china definitely curious to learn who godspeed is working for uh, sampling speedsters but alas that's a reveal for later um we then head to a four-part crossover with batman called the price um I included it here since Joshua Williamson wrote the Batman stories too. Batman issue 64 and 65 is art by Gillum March and color by Tomei Murray. It's dope. Somehow Williamson uses the sanctuary stuff from Heroes in Crisis to also tell a Claire Clover Gotham Girl story that includes a Justice League of Amazo robots plus destruction at the Flash Museum. It's good to see Batman and Flash team up. And every time that they've teamed up recently, I've really enjoyed it. I dig this story going back to Batman's first failure when his rebirth story started. Um, and I am Gotham, but also tying into the big showdown that he has coming with Bane. Real good, but the crossovers between The Fastest Man Alive and The Dark Knight really, really have been solid. What is the price of heroism? Read the crossover to find out. Um, So issued is 66 to 69 is a trickster story with the Flash rogues a lot of people don't take seriously, um, and specifically one Flash rogue that people don't take seriously, pulling the greatest trick he has ever played. Um, it's tied into the surprise end of when the new trickster became a whole courtesy of the strength force also commander cold's investigation while barry was on his force quest if you don't know who commander cold is it is a version of captain cold from the future who may or may not be a hero um, there's backstory for james jesse's childhood and tussle with the church of the black hand barry mysteriously getting slower creepy happy crime free central city scary amputation hope is the greatest trick of all sage force integration to the entire plan glimpses of other rogues like weather wizard copperhead the trigger twins and more i was surprised by how much i dug this trickster story since he's never been my favorite rogue but it is a solid story with a surprising ending and then a tie into the next six issues um a mystery still force user since barry back to the past to remember a lesson which will help his future literally and figuratively bring on a year one flash story against the turtle but also a story in the future with a gray bearded flash in the cosmic treadmill and then the timelines collide and it's wonderful it also gives backstory for the turtle but my true joy is just seeing barry figuring out how he's going to be a superhero sure he was a kid who read comics but there's neat little things like wearing out shoes 
how he acquires his yellow boots. Saving Iris from early rogues does not go as exactly as planned, but then there's just all the awesome battle against the turtle, which I really loved. Super rad, and it ends by connecting everything to the whole year of the villain that DC is going on right now, but I'm going to get to that later in this review of comics. Uh, the last comic in this catch-up is issue 76, dealing with what went down at the end of year one's conclusion. Of course, I say that's the last comic, and I realize I wrote notes, and then I read more, but that's okay. Uh, Barry needs to make amends with Wally and Avery, and it has to do with this rebuilding of the Flash Museum. There's a tar pit, or there's tar pit and girder, and then Heat Wave and Captain Cold, plus Commander Cold from the future, and the new Still Force guy, Steadfast. Also, me just hooting for the appearance of one of my favorite Flashes that I'll keep secret for now but it is connected to all the new forces and the fact that speedsters are slowing down. And there's more for a regrouped rogues team, which really does keep getting better and better. And then courtesy of the awesome reveal in issue 76, Flash is off to recruit previous heroes controlling the assorted forces, and it's going to go down. We know Barry wants the Speed Force to end on top, but he needs to work with others from the previous issues like Steadfast, Fuerza, and Psyche. Of course, readers know these characters don't always play nice together. That is certainly the case here. Also, King Shark for a moment, so you know I was stoked for issue 78. Uh, the last three issues kick off a whole Death of the Speed Force storyline. Issue 79 is more Black Flash goodness, which I guess is a spoiler, but also more for the rogues getting the band back together, and I dig the Golden Glider stuff. Consequences for fighting against the Speed Force, seeking to repair itself... Are about they abound here, and there's lots more goodness for the different forces. Iris is back, and then also a classic big bad from Flash's Rogues Gallery. It's bonkers in issues 80 to 81, but also oh good, which is basically how it's been with Williamson telling Barry Allen's story since Rebirth started. There's a twist for a classic batty origin, and then sacrifice, and just when you think things might get better, it gets oh so much worse because the whole Legion of Doom stuff, which is going on concurrently in the background of the comics is part of this. I'm totally enjoying all this and looking forward to where it goes, especially considering the current threat to the team of supers. But I, I've been a fan of all the goodness that Williamson has brought to my favorite DC superhero. So I, I, I dig him just like I dig Tom King stuff. And Williamson has obviously had a plan for everything that was going to go down with Barry Allen. It is so so good and speaking of uh, uh one tom king currently concocting his own rad story for the dark knight which is headed to his epic conclusion let's head over to batman issues 62 to 81 and annual number four written by tom king artists include mitch gerards on 62 and 75 mikhail janin on 63 68 70 to 74 and 77 jorge fornez on 66 to 67 and 70 to 72 plus the annual lee weeks on issue 67 amanda connor dan panosian and john timms on 68 vanique Paquette, Vanek Paquette on 69, Tony S. Daniel on 75 to 77, Sandu Flory on 76, Norm Ratman on 76 and 77, Clay Mann on 78 to 79, and John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen on 80 to 81, and finally Mike Norton on the annual. Lots and lots of artists on Batman Friends. Colorists include Gerard's on 62 and 75, Jordi Belair on 63, 68, 70 to 74, and 77, and Dave Stewart on 66 and the annual, Laverne Kinzierski on 67, Paul Mounts and John Timms on 68, Nathan Fairburn on 69, Tomei Murray on 75 to 81. And yes, I know, you're like, wow, those are lots of names. I'm not going to remember those books. I know, but I got to give credit because I think, uh, think the art teams are very, very important. Um, I mentioned issues 64 and 65 in the Flash discussion, so we're going to let those stay there. But the first batch of issues is Batman Lost in a Nightmare World, dealing with all sorts of weirdness. You get Professor Pig 
Damien, Selena Kyle, Constantine, Two-Face, The Question, Joker, Lois Lane, and Superman. The entire point of it all, I think, is Bruce dealing with the canceled marriage with his cat and all the assorted characters of his life as a billionaire vigilante crime fighter. Issues 63 and 64 were my favorites of the nightmare stuff, especially the latter with the question getting revelatory details from Selena Kyle. It's all a trip since this is all Batman stuck in his own head, psychoanalyzing himself via different characters from his past and present. Tom King knows how to fuck with both Batman and the reader's brains. And then somehow there's there's just a chase issue between Batman and a masked man that ends up in a big reveal that gets very meta when you analyze it against the Looney Tunes analogy. Seriously, it's a thing but I'll let you read that issue and figure it out. All in all, it's uh, all of these comics are just an arc of one-shots. Those are King's words, not mine. Uh, there's wildness and even the bachelor parties of Bat and Cat. The Selena and Lois bachelorette party is, uh, is fun to read through. Clark and Bruce's chat while this is going on is much more moody and subdued for sure, but then there's a lovely dance for Bat and Cat through their comical years together, which is real pretty juxtaposed with thomas wayne and bane fighting in a dojo honestly the the whole the whole bit of the nightmares of course that's nightmares with a k in front of the word night because it's clever but it's a little weird and i'm not qualified to tell you what the purpose was other than some filler and some fun moments but the the last issue is probably the best uh, but I already told you my faves. The whole the whole arc is a little weird, but the art is lovely. And then Batman out of his dream and back to action. We know who's responsible for his nightmares now. And I guess I should mention that the word has... Or I guess I already mentioned that the word has a K in front of it. It's very, very Batman. Uh, when it moves on, the new story is called The Fall and the Fallen. Batman is awake in the basement of Arkham and bring on the gloriousness of him mowing through a whole army of his rogues gallery as he seeks to escape. It is red, red red and so damn good and it stays good with batman facing bane in his home and also coming to terms with members of the bat family and then you get a big confrontation with bane in the bat uh bat cave or bat home uh, plus all the machinations of 72 issues spelled out for you by a narrator that might come to surprise in the last panel if you haven't been paying attention really wow and wow and wow but then it's to the desert where, there, where you get a trek for two men, one of whom is Batman, including a surprise involving mythology from none other than Rachel Ghoul. I don't want to spoil it all, but I would never have guessed this story would get to this place, but I really did love reading through all the panels as it unfolded. I guess all I can really say um, is I hope you read it too so you can get to the City of Bane arc that starts with issue 75. Um, Tom King once summed up his whole idea with Batman loves Catwoman and Bane is mad. And, and this is this is what you're getting. The consequences are wild as you see what's gone down in Gotham. Um, it is the city of Bane, and everything is upside down in a city ruled by the denizens of Arkham. Law and order come at the hands of a, a GCPD with Joker, Riddler, Zaz, and Scarecrow as officers. Uh, vigilante justice comes from Thomas Wayne and Gotham Girl. Hugo Strange is the commissioner. Yes, weirdness. And I didn't even mention all the villainous faces faces that you get to see. Indeed, the only villain not working for Bane appears to be Two-Face. Uh, not good, and Batman is out of the picture, doing his own, own thing of sorts. Uh, these villains have their own agendas, and it doesn't look good for them. Uh, or other villains have have agendas, including Kite Man. Hell yeah! Uh, and then there's a lot of really, really good Batman and Catwoman stuff. King writes their interactions so incredibly well. And then there's the fact that heroes are off limits in Gotham for a good reason, but that won't stop Captain Adam or Damian Wayne. But it does not go good when rules get broken. Should have listened to Dick, Master Damian. And um, there is there is an ending in one of the issues that is just shocking, and you need to read it. Uh, 
and then you you just you're like freak whoa holy hell and then the next issue has bruce wayne with a mustache and that's why i wonder you know sometimes i wonder i'm like have things gone too far uh, and i am kidding a little because no they haven't because issue 78 with batman and catwoman is great even if it leads us nowhere closer to solving the whole city of bane thing and the great storytelling for bat and cat continue in issue 79 and even include some magpie action and crime fighting in a place that's not gotham yes bruce wayne still has a mustache but i dig it and if you have a jones for selena she's very pretty as her and bruce deal with their relationship but also kick butt like i said issue 80 finally is batman going against the villains which now control gotham and it's as wonderful as that sounds i mean you get two-faced Professor Pig, Mad Hatter, Hugo Strange, Kite Man, Gotham Girl, and even Hush. Uh, even better than all that is how much Tom King loves Kite Man with all the hell he has. Gets even better in 81 with the Bat Family and the reveal of Batman's long durée of a plan. There's a Joker reveal which is real dang good and it's all leading us to the final confrontation with Bane. But I also dig all the stuff between a certain bad Batman and the Bat Family. I really want to see all this wraps up and the good news is I suppose is maybe Batman could fix all this but time will tell as Tom King weaves together this fantastic story which started masterfully with Rebirth and somehow all connects together and it's such an incredibly good Batman story. Some, sometimes I do think that Tom King agrees with me that Batman is a dick and at his best when writers make him suffer, but then he does things to make me think maybe he really does want Batman happy. He also may just have wanted a Batcat romance and Bane to mess things up. The point is, this is all good, really worth reading. The annual number four is the last of this regular Batman, and all I can say is this is a freaking classic Batman against all sorts of stuff story. It's a month and a half of the diary of Alfred Pennyworth, and it's the everyday life of Batman Bruce Wayne, and it is great, and really all I can say is wowza, and I'm going to miss Tom King when he's not on this book anymore after issue 85, which I actually think comes out this week. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up on DC, but there's like two or three weeks of my pull list that I haven't picked up because I have been off of work uh doing grad school bonding with the little wookie stuff but uh i actually also accidentally uh got detective comics number 1014 pulled um i normally politely give the issues back like yeah sorry guys i, I already pull enough comics I, I didn't pull this one too but the cover of this one had me intrigued and i was not disappointed written by peter tomasi pencils by doug monkey inks by christian alami Mark Irwin and Monkey and Color by David Barron. Uh, for anyone who's ever liked reading about Mr. Freeze and likes the love story of him trying to save his wife from the disease which is going to kill her, this issue is uh, the end and the beginning you probably were always waiting for. Will Victor finally cure his wife? And if he's successful, what is that going to mean? I don't want to spoil any of it, but it's super good. It has all the heart you might not expect from a villain story. Have no fear, Batman is in this tale too. I heartily recommend the issue. Uh, there looks to be more more story after this, uh, but it does stand alone as well. And uh, it, it was it was serendipitous that I got to read this. I've not I've not been reading Detective Comics for the most part while I've been reading Batman, but uh, it looked really really cool and it, it was enjoyable. And and side by side with all this good Batman are are other rad stories involving the Dark Knight. Uh, the first to talk about is the Batman Who Laughs issues 4 to 7 and the Grim Knight issue 1. Uh, this miniseries was originally promised as a six-parter but ended up as seven which delighted me since I enjoyed reading it so much. Written by Scott Snyder and James Tinney in the fourth. Or I think it's James Tynan actually. Artists include Eduardo Riso for Grim Knight and Jock for the main uh, Batman Who Laughs issues. Colorists are Dave Stewart for Grim Knight and David Baron 
for the rest. So I guess I'll start with the Grim Knight tie-in since I, I dug them giving more info for this Dark Multiverse Batman. He's rad in the issues, but, but some wanted more, myself included, and this issue does not disappoint as he tortures Gordon and his son. What if Batman killed and used guns? And, and this is what you get, and it's interesting, right? From his origin in the same crime alley, uh, it also was a nice little interlude from the last issue um, to issue four of the evil Batman corrupted by the Joker as he Fs with Earth Zero bruce wayne can bruce keep from becoming the very demon he seeks to end and can gordon survive a grim night that wants to end him it's dark and wonderful and twists and turns and wows batman has to face the darkness in his soul through the twisted armor of his antagonist and within it is lovely moments with the court of owls and more man it's good it's if you're one of of my close friends you can totally borrow my copies to throw to this story which ends but really isn't over since it keeps going in the other miniseries Really, F yeah. Uh, I didn't tell a lot of details because this whole thing really shouldn't be spoiled, but Joker and Batman Joker and a Batman Joker, and honestly that statement makes sense, but you have to read to know why. It is solidly good, but we shouldn't expect less from Snyder and Tynan. Wow. Wow. <laughs> really, really wow. But now you might be wondering how this all keeps going, and that's where the, the next issue comes in. Batman, Superman, Issues 1 to 3. Written by Joshua Williamson, my boy from The Flash. Art by David Marquez. Color by Alejandro Sanchez. The long and short is uh, Batman thinks the Batman who laughs has infected other heroes with the toxin which made him the evil bastard that he is. A la the evil Robins from previously discussed miniseries and Dark Knight's Metal. And it's up to the Cape Crusader and the Man of Steel to team up and figure it out. And the issue... Uh, issue of issue or issue one ends with a big surprise of who the first of the secret six is lots of lovely interaction for the bat and kal-el which is why i think this team up is going to be incredible also nice to know that williamson can tell a good batman story without the flash uh, I mentioned the latter in my Flash recap, but the last panel of the Batman Who Laughs plays into this. Plus, if you wanted to see more for Joker as Batman and discover what he did to his Dark Multiverse's Justice League, you will not be disappointed. There's even a Batcave that laughs. <laughs> it's real dang good. And, and from the first issue, I was hooked. It's, this, it's all sorts of Batman and Superman versus a superpowered baddie. That is, it's one heck of a matchup. When superheroes unleash under Joker Toxin, it is wild stuff. And issues two and three bring not just one, but three more cases, with each one being as cool as the first reveal. It's freaking magnificent. And the dark storytelling, you gotta dig. And the Batman who laughs plan is all unfolding while he's under lock and key. And it, it, the stuff is wild. And it ties into the Doom Rising stuff at the at the end of issue three, and finding out who the Secret Six is through the issues is really a joy. And apparently, the next issue is gonna unravel the whole team of supers that are infected. And I, I really every issue that comes out for this six parter is I'm in great anticipation for it. Really, really good stuff. I also read uh, Batman Curse of the White Knight issues one to four, kicking off from the events of the Curse of the White Knight epic Elseworlds tale where Joker was a good guy for a moment, um, which I talked about that trade in episode 117 if you want to go back. But this was dang good. And the follow up is just the same, only now Joker is not a good guy and determined to reveal secrets of Gotham past and present to make life harder for Batman 
his bat family and the elites of gotham the wayne heritage goes way back to the origins of gotham valley and apparently so does Azrael, who appears to be the big bad of this story surprises for harleen quinzel in this world plus a big explosive ending for issue two that you got to read and enjoy you know it can't be good for batman when the joker is behind a mystery that can mean the end of the wayne specifically one dark knight there's real stakes for this story no one is safe people die people fight Babies are born, and seriously, Azrael is a real threat, and there's a, a bunch to this awesome story and some great character moments. Each issue ends with you just astounded at what's going down, and within it all is the mystery of the origins of Gotham. Then there's Montoya, and Bullock, and Barbara Gordon, and Dick Grayson, and Harleen Quinzel, like I said, and Joker, and Alfred, and Leslie Tompkins, and oh so much more story, all packed in one riveting issue after another the art is so good matches this storytelling thrillingly and that makes sense it's uh this batman universe is the amazing brainchild of writer and artist sean murphy with colorist matt hollingsworth it's it's just astounding and if all these great batman stories are not enough for you then you get to enjoy a tale from the dark multiverse where jean paul valley stayed batman after nightfall i mean what would that mean for gotham well writers scott snyder and kyle higgins aim to let you know with art by javier fernandez and color by alex guimares it's g-u-i-m-a-r-a-e-s and this story is called batman nightfall all hail saint batman i really dig this dive into the nightmare world of the dark multiverse and this is an interesting tale that still includes the fate of one bruce wayne and just heck yeah for batman the broken to add to a list of dark knights this all stems from a mysterious entity called tempest fugonaut who's in search he's like searching through the bad dreams of the dark multiverse uh and looking at the different alternate realities and searching for heroes forged in the fires of our greatest fears that might exist to help in a coming crisis you're like oh no another crisis it's dc friends there's always a crisis but um i don't know that this story bears fruit other than just being a great read but it is good and uh, I always like what-if stories. The Dark Multiverse offers just that. This is a fun Elseworlds tale that still ties into all the Dark Knight's metal radness. And I, I guess I shouldn't even say it's an Elseworlds tale because they do the Dark Multiverse. This stuff is happening while the stuff that you know is, is happening in the regular multiverse. So uh, sure, it's Elseworlds, but it, it's like a possibility. And it's something that could, could tie in if they wanted to to everything. This is not particularly going to tie in other than introducing this character, Tempest Fugonaut. But uh, I, I like it. I also think uh, the Tempest fellow may have been mentioned by the Batman Who Laughs in the Batman Superman comic. So uh, I dig it. And it, it seems silly to love, love, love all these Batman issues. And then to uh, also include Batman Universe issues 1 to 3. But I have to because I read it. This is Batman, uh, Brian Michael Bendis dipping his creative toes into this world with artist Nick Darrington. Color by Dave Stewart. Uh, Riddler's stolen a Fabergé egg that once belonged to Jonah Hex, and what this item really is is a mystery worthy of Batman and a team-up with Green Arrow. Riddler is losing his marbles, in a way, has minions cataloging, cataloging his history, and then there's confrontation with Deathstroke in Amsterdam and Vandal Savage and Gorilla City and then a what-the-heck location. And I know that's saying something since I just said the words Gorilla City. I think Bendis just wanted to tell a bonkers story and play in the Batman sandbox, and that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, what else? Thanagar and the Sin Eater and Vandal Savage with Riddler's Egg, which can teleport people. And yes, Bendis is going cuckoo bananas with this story, but I should have known once Gorilla City was in play, like I said. 
why not why not add dinosaurs to all this craziness <laughs> i guess i guess i should probably leave some surprises if you want to read this but batman is definitely a detective throughout this so that is nice um i guess superman mythos was not enough for the creative force that is bendis um i got these comics pulled for me accidentally sort of like uh the detective comics but now i need to now i just i need to keep reading and see where this all is going even if i find it a little too wild time's gonna tell but my final thoughts are um, that I think it's cool that DC is reprinting those Walmart exclusive comics that they did, this being one of them. Uh, it is interesting that they took, you know, hey, the, Bendis, you get a chance to write Batman. And he does. And then goes to Walmart for the people of Walmart. But, uh, I mean, this is a comic definitely uh, worthy of the people of Walmart. <laughs> Sounds so bad. But uh, uh, I recommend almost all of the Batman comics that I mentioned. Uh, maybe I give a maybe on this last story, the Batman universe. But all that being said, it seems like mentioning a Batman story that included the Man of Steel and then talking Brian Michael Bendis is a perfect segue for us to head next to Superman. And we're going to start with Action Comics issues 1007 to 1016. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, artists include Steve Epstein on 1007 to 11 and uh, Simon Kudransky on 1012 to 16. Brad Anderson is on color for all the issues. And this side of the Superman comics is the detective story. And the issues kick off with Leviathan Rises. Jimmy Olsen is investigating Cobra, Lois is having a discussion with their spymaster father, and Superman interacts with Amanda Waller, and then all hell breaks loose. Uh, the secret organizations of the DC Universe are being taken out by the mysterious Leviathan, and it is pretty cool. No one is safe, including the DEO and Mr. Bones, and the mystery keeps on unraveling with connections for General Lane and Amanda Waller. Then there's a surprising bunch of dialogue in the Fortress of Solitude, and then the question, and Talia al Ghul and Batman. Now bring on Andy and Chaz, agents of Spiral, meeting with their boss Tiger, and Superman may have figured it out, but we know it's not going to be that easy. Then there's the secrets of Spiral and Huntress, but mainly just the tent poles of the intelligence community, all falling in one day to a mysterious new baddie and then there's lots of questions about who is behind it what exactly their plan is it's a good story in issues 1012 we uh we get back to bendis's invisible mafia story basically a mysterious organization is controlling metropolis with a lady who owns a car any superman should be curious about all the way back from action comics number one then there's the red cloud a villain who's proven that uh, she can go toe-to-toe with Kal-El. Uh, they figured out how to operate, hit him without the man is still hearing or seeing their planning. And problem is now there's a very angry young lady named Thorn who is taking them on. And this story is bringing her into the tale while also connecting to the Leviathan stuff. It's so much more than that, though, since it's also tied into the whole year of the villain with Lex Luthor. Offering the world's villains gifts, and that can't be good when he's doing that for Red Cloud. The leader of the Invisible Mafia is all over the last issues, uh, and I have to admit, I dig all this, even when at first I wasn't too keen on Bendis' action comic stuff. Um, now the, the Invisible Mafia is out in the open in a way, uh, but then the last issue has Thorn versus Red Cloud and offers from non-Lexes, and then a tie into another comic Bendis has been writing with an all-new character. Uh, I didn't dig Naomi being brought into the Superman story in issue 1015, but then it serves a greater purpose in the next issue. And I definitely dig Red Cloud versus Superman. Uh, issue 1016 was pretty cool. Um, and then there's a, a fight between Red Cloud and Superman, which also includes some Naomi action, and is told from the viewpoints of different citizens of Metropolis, which was a nice touch. Definitely Bendis is telling a mystery story, and the cliffhanger for the last issue that I read means a war in Metropolis. 
with the now not so invisible mafia where we're going to learn how deep their control in the city goes and also can i just say that batman's interaction with naomi they're great and I have no doubt people probably dig this new character from Bendis. I just have not read her stuff. He's doing a, a separate Naomi comic. Uh, but I, I thought it was pretty all right. I guess this is a good spot to talk event Leviathan since it makes more sense with uh, with the action comic stuff. The issue that kicked it all off was Superman Leviathan Rising. Uh, it's three stories to get the Superman event going. Writers are Bendis, Greg Rucka, Matt Fraction, and Mark Andreco. Artists include Unique Paquette, Mike Perkins, Steve Lieber, Eduardo Pensica, and Julio Ferreira. Colors by Nathan Fairburn, Paul Mounts, and FCO Placentia. First Tale has a mystery man talking about taking down the big blue boy scout with the invisible mafia queen leon and then clark kent kidnapped as bait for superman and even though you think that'd be dumb it's it's much more perilous for clark than you'd think also batman and wonder woman and lois and lots of mystery and there's a zany story for jimmy olsen to remind people that he's his own comic again and if that's your thing it looks like classic jimmy olsen stuff with drunken marriage a killer cat and uh his connect connections to the superman watch supergirl also has a tale to be told with all the leviathan stuff to connect to eliza and jeremiah danvers and the spy stuff and more i'm not reading Kara's stories but it does look interesting the superman story then wraps up with the mystery of olsen's killer cat revealed and firestorm and much more for leviathan leon and talia Ghul. it's a good issue to get the uninitiated into the whole leviathan stuff i also like any story where superman is in peril and uh, and I actually believe that he's in peril. And I dug Lois Lane's part in all of it. Bendis is doing a solid job with uh, Lois, especially, and with with Clark Kent and Superman and all the mystery. And then it all continues in Event Leviathan issues one to five. Still Bendis writing. Art and color is Alex Maleev. Uh, Batman and Lois Lane and Steve Trevor and Oliver Queen and another Intelligence Center taken out by Leviathan. It's up to a new team of detectives to figure it all out. And the best thing is it's not clear that Leviathan is even the villain of the story. Weird to want organizations like the DEO, Spiral, Argus, Task Force X, and Cobra to get justice since comic readers will know they're not always the good guys. And then the mystery broadens with Jason Todd, The Question, and Plastic Man. And it turns out some heroes might be more involved with Leviathan than we thought. And just like the covers promise, this is one heck of a mystery thriller, which unfolds in six issues. So heck yeah for, for all the story. I've read five of six, which is fun. Also heck yeah for all the little moments with different characters. Plastic Man being my favorite. I have a couple suspicions about who Leviathan is, but I was not ready for the big reveal at the end of issue two. Keeps going with Batman's detective team trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Then there's big fight action and some classic Lois Lane. And then Amanda Waller pops back up in issues three and four. And Superman finally takes on the evil forces of Leviathan. There's more detectives work in the case. Uh, beyond Batman's team uh, from a much more magical angle. So yay for Zatanna, Elongated Man, Deathstroke, the other question, and Constantine joining the mystery. The list of suspects is really, really interesting. And then there's more characters that you may have discounted showing up. And this whole miniseries is fun with Bendis doing some cool stuff. It, it's it's enjoyable, and I want to read the sixth issue and see, see the big reveal. Who is Leviathan? And uh, I guess that means, since we've talked about that, I can tread on over to the rest of the Superman I read. Um, issue It's Superman issues 7 to 16. Uh, still my, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, pencils by Ivan Reese and Brandon Peterson on 7 to 10 and 13. Jason Fabok on issue 7. Reese Solo on 11 to 12 and 14 to 15. Sinclair does color throughout. Um, 
Alex Sinclair, I guess it should be more specific. Uh, Brandon Peterson and Evan Duckshaner also do pencils and inks on issue 15. And the art team changes with issue 16 to David LaFuente on art and Paul Mounts on color. Uh, this run of issues is a story called Unity Squadron, The House of L. And uh, so if you don't know, John Kent went off with his grandpa, was gone for a bit, but now he's back and older and someone needs to explain it all and explain away John does, but not before... Um, Lois Lane has an awkward but great moment. John's tale is all over the the cosmic DC universe with Dominators, Super Lois in a way, assorted other aliens, Lobo, Coons on Daxim, Mongol Thanagarians, Green Lanterns, and the Crime Syndicate of Earth Three. Yes, that's a that's a big list and. He has a wild adventure, and uh, seriously, the crime syndicate is where I hooted in John's story, and I love what goes down with Ultraman and Superwoman. It's the best kind of father-mother drama that I probably shouldn't like so much since it's no bueno for John Boy. The other evil versions of the Justice League have small parts, but it's mainly the evil versions of his ma and pa. Uh, Mom, Pa Kent, really, that, uh, that matter. And then John is saved, and we sort of understand how he got back to Earth older, but not before it all connects back to Rogal Zar and Zod and ends its panels with one heck of a battle in issue 10. So righteous, and I love the art throughout this. Issues 11 to 14 are all about this big battle. The United House of El uh, is, is going to have to gonna have to take on some bad guys so you get a lot of super kryptonians versus Rogalzar and zod and thanagarians coons and the trillium collective it is a big battle but also there's little character moments and heart and all is not what it seems here issue 13 is particularly intriguing for offering new wrinkles to the story of krypton's destruction which lest we forget is tied to all the rad Rogalzar stuff then it all concludes with far more questions than we began with trying tying into bendis's future work with the legion of superheroes really this is uh now about john joining the league and what the consequences of the whole real goals are epic unity battle is going to be the way he goes down for superman's dad is a big thing that surprised me as well also it makes me want to read legion of superheroes when it drops in November and it already has dropped and yes I already did pull it so <laughs> Jeebus knows I don't need to pull any more comics but I did so there you go uh, this all these Superman issues really good I dug it Zar is one heck of a villain and I like the mystery behind what's going on with Jor-El and the connections to all the other societies in the DC cosmos issue 15 uh, was really a nice wrap-up for the Unity Saga, tying up all the different story and characters. And then issue 16 was cool just because it gives you a Super Sun story, even if the circumstances for John Kent are different now, but it was a fun story between two buds that also connects to the Leviathan stuff and then the Legions of Superhero stuff. And the art in that last issue was a little kitty, but it worked for what was going down, and all of Superman is totally worth reading for sure. And I think I'm I'm back to... I, I, I dig the, the Superman issues by Bendis more than I do the action, but but then sometimes it flip-flops, and, and one of them's really, one of them's like a, a down-to-earth like crime story, but Leviathan's so like bigger than that, so I don't know. I just, I think Brian Michael Bendis is, he's a, he's a great comic writer, and, and I'm enjoying what he's doing with Superman.
but yeah, I, I enjoy it all. But I guess I guess it would be a good point for us to do a little bit of a break from the world of just Superman and Bats and Flash. So we could talk about an, another epic DC miniseries that's going on right now and cover Deceased, issues 1 to 6, and then A Good Day to Die tie-in. Main issues written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Hersine and Stefano Gadiano, and color by Rain Barreto. James Heron did a bit of the art on issue 1. Neil Edwards helped with pencils on issue 6, but the rest of this creative team did the rest and this series is bonkers bananas and i just love the idea that doomsday's anti-life equation leads to zombie apocalypse on earth where all living beings are susceptible to the effects the way it works is unforeseen and sort of scary consider the world we live in today minus the superpowered individuals and I, I really just love this no one is safe and with heroes you love infected it's going to be bloody and scary and wonderful it's like tom taylor like marvel zombies but was like well i could do even better and connected to DC continuity, and he does that in spades. Green Lantern and Superman and Batman and Aquaman and Black Lightning and then non-powered humans of the DC Universe and Zambies and oh so much more. Panel by panel, this is just wonderful and horrible and back to wonderful. Uh, the different characters that fall to this disease makes this event high stakes and incredibly enjoyable to read and ends so satisfying and while more story does not have to be told, there are options for more. Oh, wow, this is just fucking good. You, you think just zombies... And action, but there's also character moments, and Tom Taylor gets really does get the characters that he's using. This comic miniseries is why Elseworld stories are such a great thing. Freaking woe and woe. The tie-in comic, A Good Day to Die, written by Taylor with pencils by Laura Braga and Derek Robertson, ink by Richard Friend, Trevor Scott and Derek Robertson, and color by Rain Barreto again. Uh, this is a Mr. Miracle and Big Barda trying to figure out what the heck is going on with this crazy zombie virus. And then you also get Mr. Terrific, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, and Constantine. Also Fire and Ice and Wave Rider. Just a good story that fits into this apocalyptic tale, but stands alone on its own as well. It's good, and I, I really just want Tom Taylor to keep riding in this world. And that, that moves on. If we want to talk about different worlds, we're going to go to Doomsday Clock. Issues 10 and 11 uh, of what's supposed to be a 12-part series in a, in a comic that is taking forever to come out. But but it's written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank, color by Brad Anderson, and uh, what my, my verdict is still out on these issues. I mean, currently watching an amazing Watchmen show on uh on hbo and uh this is this is the actual final connection of of the watchman universe and the dc universe and um I, you know honestly i think this this entire thing is one of those uh comics that i'm gonna have to reread once all the issues are out once we get 12 i'll just go 1 to 12 reading them all you know sequentially and and seeing what my feelings are but that's it issue 10 uh, is very Dr. Manhattan-centric and super interesting. It sort of gives the details of how he ended up in the DC Universe, shows his motivations for meddling with details. It also finally brings a solid connection to the Carver Coleman stuff that's been peppered throughout the story. Uh, then you get an issue with Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and other heroes dealing with the events of this world. Also, Ozymandias stuff and Lex Luthor unraveling the mystery. And then Rorschach and Pancakes and uh, Mime and Marionette. And the issues are overall good, Although, all in all, it just seems like a slow build throughout these comics to get to some issues that finally do something. We shall see if it all wraps up nicely in the final issue, which, surprise, surprise, I don't think is out yet. I do like the DC Universe described as a world of extremes, impossible to reconcile, full of hope, but also despair. 
uh, schizophrenic society overrun with superpowers and costumes. I, I think I think those words are interesting, and we learn about strings being pulled, and it's not so surprising who is behind it all, considering this is technically a Watchmen comic, but then you get the excitement of one last issue and a, a final confrontation between Dr. Manhattan and Superman, and, and you know you have to see how it all is going to go down. Like I said, I don't know where all this sits for me, but I did like these two issues, and I am ready for this to conclude, hopefully in a super satisfying way. But now on to uh, Wonder Wonder Woman and issue 62 to 81. Wowza! There have been a ton of comics in this catch-up so far, and I'm still still going, and there's like three more titles. Uh, all of this goodness is G. Willow Wilson, who I dig writing Wonder Woman. Art is Zermanico on issues 62 and 69 to 71, 74 to 75. Emanuela Lupicino and Ray McCarthy on 63. Jesus Marino and Andy Owens on 64 to 65. Carrie Nord and Mick Gray on 66 to 68. Ronan Cliquette on 68. Marino, Scott Hanna, and Scott Derenick on 72. Aaron Lopresti and Matt Ryan on 73. Marino on 74 to 75. And issue 77. And then Vicente Cifuentes on 75 and 77. Lee Garbett on 76. Derenick, Trevor Scott, and Norm Rapmund on 78. Scott Eaton, Wayne Foucher, and Jose Marzin Jr. on 79. Then Marino, Derenick, Cifuentes, and Scott on 80. And Derenick, Scott, and Handa on issue 81. Annual number 8, or annual number 3, is uh, art by V. Ken Marion and Sandu Floria. Color? <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? What gave so many names? Yeah, yes, I know, and, and we need to get to the colorist because you know I like to give them credit. Um, so, color artists for Wonder Woman include uh, issues 62 to 81, it was Romulo Fajardo Jr., Hi Fi did the color on the annual. And uh, now we can actually talk about the comics. <laughs> uh, in issue 62, Wendy has to wrap up the war with Ares and Derovnia. But is it peace or is it just the end of conflict? You got to read, but it is a nice conclusion to what went down. And I like bringing Aphrodite into all this gods on earth stuff. In issue 63 to 65, more of the mythical creatures that are stranded in the real world need to figure out their place. And it's a Minotaur, Satyr, and Pegasus and silliness that then ties into a new baddie from the land of Olympus, which has now thrown up all of its contents for Wonder Woman to deal with. We welcome normal person Maggie to our cast of heroes. Veronica Kale is in on the big evil too, which cannot be good. Grudges lead to big fights, and in the end, Diana is dealing with her own identity and place in the world, especially considering a big revelation with Themyscira. Uh, you know it says something when there's a nemesis to fight, and Kale ends up being the person who's really evil, especially since her power is privilege, money, and the controls granted by capitalism. Of course, the champion with the lasso of truth gets down to business, and the end is truly lovely, and not just because love conquers so much in Wonder woman's world then in issues 66 to 68 time to take on literal giant titans in rocky national park what giganta on loan from amanda waller's suicide squad and also the trio of, trio of mythical creatures palling around with newcomer maggie the normal person uh, then it's all arthurian legend with the sword in the lake and the giant titans have to be finished but now maggie has the sword of antiope and it's going to get weird as maggie joins diana and aphrodite to go see her uh child atlant Tiatis in issues 69 to 72 
love is a battlefield uh, is the name of the story and there's the the love god or demigod hermaphroditus who's also atlantiatus and uh pa- passion leads to undoing and then a battle with the minotaur <laughs> seriously friends it is a thing and it's good his mother and child issues and angry cupids and Atlantiatus smitten with Diana, then a dark portal to the labyrinth with said Minotaur. Good thing inexperienced normal person Maggie is along for the ride with the a sword. <laughs> then there's a, a battle against creepy slime monsters. Then it's on to Dimension Chi in issues 73 to 75. You gotta love an alternate version of Queen Hippolyta, a, a contest of Kanga Chariot, Light Dart, Storytelling, Global Strategy, and more. And then a conflict against Atomia and the forces of Adam World. Also interesting to see Amazons that aren't fans of Wendy because in this world created by her mother, she doesn't exist, and that is the point of the world. Uh, this proving ground has history to be told in issue 73, but then it's current time with Diana, Maggie, and Atlantiatis. Empress Hippolyta is different, but hooray for Antipi and Amazons, and then a big reveal for what's going on on Themyscira with Grill, who is the Amazon daughter of Darkseid. Bring on the big Amazonian battle and connection to Veronica Kale's story. She isn't in the tale, but remember her daughter? Yes, there's a reason she made she made a deal with Diana, and Grell looks great in the story, and I dig the codes of honor being considered here. It's really cool as heck, uh, but I am a sucker for Wonder Woman finally getting to be on Paradise Island, and I guess you can go home again. Uh, issues 76 to 81 are a great story dealing with Cheetah, gifted the God Killer Sword by Big Bad Lex Luthor, who's intent on bringing doom to Earth via gifting villains strength and powers speaking of doom the power of love is seriously under threat here and there's lots of cheetah versus wonder woman action and the wrap-up of the story for veronica kill cheetah is all kinds of powerful here and at times it does not look good for diana prince also tested as the love of diana and steve trevor and atlantiatus has a part to play in all this too the end leads to potential goodness and with issue 81 G. Willow Wilson leaves 1D to head to a new title. Where does Steve Orlando's picking up? And there's some cool stuff uh, that was set up with new characters, Atlantiatus and Maggie. I dug Wilson's end. And seriously, there was a robber wearing a daredevil mask, uh, even if this is not a Marvel comic. The connections to Kale and science and then the whole Luther Doom stuff totally works for me. And seeing the Doom sigil... Uh, from different characters' views, and issue 81 was pretty righteous. Then there's annual number three, which ties into the event Leviathan stuff. Interestingly, with a backstory involving a child saved by Wonder Woman and an Argus mission in Gorilla City against Gorilla Grodd, I dig Wendy standing up for what she believes in, while not necessarily following the initiatives of Argus. It works well, and I always dig a good Grodd story. Uh, very, very enjoyable, and I recommend Wonder Woman, and look forward to the day when someday I gift all of these comics to one of my kiddos. Uh, but with all those issues discussed, let's get right to the doom and the doom and gloom of Justice League, issues 15 to 34, and annual number one. Written by James Tynan IV and Scott Snyder. Um, sometimes issues are just one or the other, but I'll, I'll give both gents credit. Tynan is uh, 15, 16, 18, 22, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 to 32. And Snyder is 15 to 17, 19 to 21, 23 to 25, 29 to 34. Both wrote the annual. Pencils by Jim Chung on issues 15 to 17. Steven Segovia on 15 to 16. Daniel Sampier on the annual in issues 28 and 33. Javier Fernandez on 28. 
Bruno Redondo on 33. Inks are uh, Segovia on 15 to 16, Chung on 16 to 17, Mark Morales on 15 to 17. Juan Albaron on the annual in issues 28 to 33, or 28 and 33. Walden Wong on issue 17. Javier Fernandez on 28. Redondo on 33. Artists include Pasquale Ferry on 18. Jorge Jimenez on 19 to 21. 23 to 25. 30 to 31. Francis Manipool on issue 22. Javier Fernandez on 26 to 28. Bruno Redondo on 27, 29, 34. And Howard Porter on 32 and 34. Color is Tomei Moray on 15 to 17. Will Quintana on 15 to 16. Adriana Lucas on the annual. Hi-Fi on 18, 26 to 29, 32 to 34. Alejandro Sanchez on 19 to 21, 23 to 25, 30 to 31. And Francis Manipool on 22 because Manipul is very well known for doing all of his art all the art the color the ink the pens the color uh, there's a lot going on since this is the big book with the whole year of the villain doom rising stuff going on issue 15 and 16 finish up one went down on Hawkworld, aka thanagar prime martian manhunter goodness is throughout this with a monster face uh, seriously, as a monster face at one point, and it made me smile. And John Stewart, Green Lantern, and Hawk Girl stopping Dominators and Thanagarians, and then the Secret of Perpetua and more Green Lanterns, including Kilowog, which is great. You poosers. Uh, will the scale tip to justice or doom? And can the Source Wall be fixed? Why is the Source Wall broken? Read uh, Dark Knight's Metal if you want to know that. But uh, it's it's very interesting, and you, you have to read all this to figure out. What's going on? The annual deals with trying to fix the source wall and the Omega Titans from earlier issues. Uh, there's mysterious stuff also going down with Shiera connected to Starman. You know this mission isn't going to go well since Bring on the Legion of Doom, which is Brainiac, Lex Luthor, Grodd, Sinestro, Cheetah, and the Turtle. Rut Row Raggy. This is so much more than just the multiverse. I mean, the word omniverse is used at one point, but Perpetua is no bueno, and the Legion of Doom seeks to resurrect her. Issue 17 is Lex Luthor and John Jones on Mars with some interesting revelations from their combined past, which is a really good story. Then we go to issue 18 for some Doom-centric storytelling. Uh, part four of their storyline, if you need to know. Lex and Brainiac coming to terms and more info about Perpetua that is a story from the past involving Vandal Savage and Luther's dad. Really good. Issue 19 to 25 is a bonkers futuresque story in the sixth dimension. So long and short is that cosmic powered beings are interested in the futures of the Justice League and Earth. And there's betrayal and cool Elseworlds futures for all the heroes and Superman in peril and Mr. Mixel Pitlick and Batmite and asshole Batman and a kid for John Jones and Shiera and oh so much more. The League seeks answers in the control room of the multiverse, aka the sixth dimension, and Mixie is the key, literally getting them there. But then this possible future seems great, but then, of course, is much more complicated. Best thing is that all the characters get great moments, including Superman, and especially Superman. Also, we are now officially connected to the World Forger, the Monitor, and the Anti-Monitor, since they're the offspring of Perpetua. So this whole thing is going to be a big dealio. In the midst of all this, there's cuteness for Jaro and dimensional imp craziness on the current time of Earth. There's also the remaining Justice Leaguers against the Legion of Doom. And a bunch more info about Perpetua, the universe, and her kiddos. There's unexpected help in the sixth dimension from baddies and the greatness that is a hybrid hawk Martian kiddo named Shane. And did I mention I dig the Superman stuff? 
It really is a dang good story. And also, Batman is a dick. Uh, issue 25 also begins Lex Luthor's offer to bring Doom to the world. Can the World Forger joining the Justice League be enough? I, I still don't know. Issue 26 to 28 is the Apex Predator story, which goes back to whatever is going down between Martian Manhunter and Lex Luthor, who seems much changed lately. Also, heroes of the multiverse, including Captain Carrot and Shane from the Sixth Dimension Future, and Starman Go and Explodey, and Professor Ivo and Amazo and Lionel Luthor, and the way it all ends is a definite what the F moment. Bonus for the Monitor being in the story now and the search for his animated brother. Issue 29 is, is really just the bee's knees because Jaro gets a story and we get to see more past stuff for his previous incarnation as Star of the Conqueror. You have not lived until you've seen little Jaro as a Robin trying to impress his father Batman. Uh, just the tip of the hat to Snyder and Tynan for the nice Dark Knight's metal connection. More than just all the source wall craziness. The Jaro stuff is real good and the twist endings rock. And after this prelude, it's time for the Justice Do More to start. And that's what we enjoy with issues 30 to 34. Lots of Justice Leaguers, and they need to stop the Legion of Doom before the multiverse goes to hell in a handbasket. And the plan, as far-fetched as it might sound, is sending Batman, Superman, and 1D to the future. And John Stewart, Green Lantern, and Flash to the past. But you know the Doom baddies are going to make it tough for them. So we get Sinestro and Grodd and World War II era Earth and the Justice Society of America. While the future has Brainiac and Commandy, the last boy on Earth. Hopefully that sounds as cool to you as it was for me while I read it all. There's also Mera and Kendra back on Earth helping Starman. The World Forger and the Monitor find the destructive brother, the Anti-Monitor. Also, Silly Jaro. But it's all really, really a fun read. Hell yeah for Wildcat, Sandman, Starman, Hawkman, Dr. Fate, Hourman, Green Lantern, The Atom, and The Flash of Keystone City in the past. The heroes allied with the Anti-Monitor, or the specific, there is a hero allied with the Anti-Monitor, which was a neat surprise. And then there's all the other heroes uh, from the missions in the future and what what that brings to the fray. I really dug this mucho mucho. Uh, finding pieces to link with the totality worked for me, but since I already talked about this in Wonder Woman issue 34, uh, it ends with the doom sigil in the sky. And, uh, and this epic story is not over. We finally get to Perpetua and the battle against her kiddos. And lest we forget, Kendra has a part to play in all this and Starman with uh, Change Lex Luthor as the av avatar for Doom, and it all goes down big, and and there's also Vandal Savage, and so much more, and it's just, it's really, it's really freaking fun, uh, and within all this, there's also standalodes that link certain stories, or link to certain stories, and talk about some of the villains accepting offers from Lex Luthor. It's definitely more than just Flash's rogues, uh, Cheetah and Red Cloud. The whole year of the villain thing began in a 25-cent issue, told stories for the Batman Who Laughs, the Legion of Doom, and Leviathan, which were all big threats going on currently in the DC Universe. Uh, teams were Scott Snyder, artist Jim Chung, colorist Tomei Murray for Doom, which precedes Luther's offer of Doom and the events that lead to his apex predator status. Also shows a ton of DC villains, including the City of Bane stuff going on in Batman issues. Brian Michael Bendis wrote Leviathan with artist Alex Maleev and colorist Joshua Reed, Green Arrow, Batgirl, and Malcolm Merlin, and then a big Leviathan boom, which explains how Barbara ended up with Leviathan and leads to what went down in Event Leviathan with Red Hood. The Justice Story is writer James Tynan IV, an art and color by Francis Manipole, and is about the Justice League recruiting a butt-ton of members, and then Perpetua, the Batman Who Laughs, and the mysterious form of Luther we learn much more about later. Um, 
The Year of the Villain is really good, so why not have one-shots featuring villains? And that's what they do. Uh, Sinestro, written by Mark Russell, art by Yildere Sinar, ink by Julio Ferreira, and color by Hi-Fi. There's a threat to Lex Luthor's Doom plans. And it comes in the form of paragons from another multiverse. They are nigh immortal since their insides are maintained by microscopic beings as Sinestro calls microns. Leave it to the evil lantern who currently wields ultraviolet power to mess things up for this new threat. And the way he does it is great. It's really good stuff and the end did surprise me and could be an interesting wrinkle for the United Legion of Doom. You're the villain Black Mask, writer Tom Taylor, artist Coley Hammer and colored by Dave Stewart. You want backstory for Black Mask? Here you go. And then you get new tech for the man who seeks to cover his imperfections. And it is cool. And then yay for Batwoman Cat Kane and her girlfriend Renee Montoya. And then being after Roman Sionis. Uh, Black Mask's new power is much better than a mask carved from the coffin of his dead parents. And I wonder how he might feature in future Doom stories. Year of the Villain, The Riddler, written by Mark Russell, art by Scott Godlewski, and color by Marisa Louise. So the art in this one isn't my favorite, but man, I was not ready for a King Tut Riddler team up against Batman, which has all the cheese that you would expect from these two rogues of the Dark Knight. Luther has an offer for Edward Nigma too, and surprisingly, it's no- it's nothing. He offers him, yep, my offer to you is nothing and that means something um i suppose poor ed has has got to deal with some existential existential stuff and and deal with that that stuff he does and time will tell what that means uh come to think of it i've not seen edward enigma in the city of bane so i i am curious uh what the point of uh this least favorite of my villain tie-ins is uh the next one is just bonkers you're the villain, the Joker, written by legend of horror John Carpenter and Anthony Birch, helping him along, pencils by Philip Tan, inks by Mark Deering, Danny Meeky, Jonathan Glapion, and Tan, colors by J. David Ramos. Uh, Joker is off to emulate his heroic paramour of a partner while messing with a poor schmucky criminal named Jeremy and mess with this man with mental illness he does a la Batman and Robin. Tan's art is wonderful, but this is a dark story with a cruel cruel joker and it is a tough read but does end surprisingly well i wasn't sure that it was going to land but it does and uh, joker is crazy like he should be in this also condiment king and enchantress uh if you can believe it i won't lie and say that it's not a weird story and don't look for connections to the whole doom stuff but it was a good read and points to uh king of horror carpenter for writing a good joker story and the last of the, the year of the villain tie-ins is Lex Luthor himself, and this story written by Jason Latour really, really kicks ass. Pencils are Brian Hitch, inks by Hitch and Andrew Curry, and color by Tomei Murray. Lex is traveling the multiverse to a ton of different versions of himself in search of something. No Lex is safe, not even the children. You get lots of Luthers and the Black Mercy and a great end. There's just something great about Lex Luthor interacting with different versions of himself. And all of these Year of the Villain issues, of all of them, this one is the best and most likely to tie in with what's going down with the Justice League. And now on to the last series of comics to talk about. Uh, Justice League Dark, issues 9 to 16, and annual number 1, written by James Tynan IV. Uh, Ram V also wrote the annual. Artists include Alvaro Martinez Bueno on 9 to 12, and 14 to 16, Miguel Mendonca on 9, 
Raul Fernandez on 9 and 12 and 14 and 16. Mark Buckingham on 13. Mick Gray on 13. Daniel Sampier on 13. And Juan Albaran also on 13. Gillum March was on the annual. And Daniel Blanco did issue 16. Colorists include Brad Anderson on 9 to 12 and 15 to 16. Adriana Lucas on 13 to 14. And Arif Prianto on the annual. So last we left this magical Justice League, they faced off against the Lords of Order on Mira. Uh, you had Etrigan and the Blue Devil and Circe and Mordru and lots of stakes, friends. Stakes, stakes, and no, I don't mean vampire killing. I mean character consequences. But I, I'd love this, if for no other reason than Bobo, aka Detective Chimp, and the baddest swamp thing with the beard design, plus the loveliness that is Constantine every now and again. Then there's really good stuff for Wonder Woman and Zatanna. I mean, the Lords of Order need lords of chaos to contend with and all this story over issues 9 to 12 is a lot of magical mystery and fun and explosions to boot i also loved how issue 12 had the regular justice league discussing this wilder team with wonder woman tynan tells a good tale and i'm so happy that the jld is back and kicking ass issue 13 deals with dr fate issues the dynamics of the relationship between the hellblazer and zatanna and then extends lex luther's offer to cersei uh, really cool the annual then gives us a badass swamp thing story having to do with the council of flowers and the new guardian of the green and swampy has to deal with it in case you wanted some jason woodrew too he plays into the story as well and it's a good end and the end can't be good for swamp thing or the jld issues 14 to 16 are the witching war and tie into the badass witching more stuff from previous issues and then everything that's been going down also remember when i said stakes but no vampires well now you get vampires and literal stakes <laughs> and that and solomon grundy and papa midnight and the floronic man and clarion the witch boy and cersei oh my also eclipso connected in the story and it's all tied into the whole doom sigil stuff and it's bonkers loveliness and the world of magic may be fucked <laughs> cersei is one heck of a baddie to contend with and messing with eclipso is usually not a good idea and things are not good for wonder woman ever since she connected to the power of akate and methinks the whole magical threat of nobu and the other kind is still looming out there too it is wild goodness but of course i said the last comic to talk about and and uh, i'm i'm sort of lying since uh i actually have a couple comics that i need to talk about from the dc black label if you're not familiar so basically dc is using the black label to tell darker stories and have have a uh, stuff that's not as censored and more adult content and they come in these really nice prestige format so instead of the regular size comics they're actually like more like squares and they're big and beautiful but there's actually three that i wanted to talk about and uh i have a lot less notes for this since i just recently caught up but first superman year one books one two and three this is a story and art by frank miller and john romita jr Danny Miki doing inks, uh, Alex Sinclair doing color. And uh, basically Frank Miller wanted to tell an origin story for Superman. And it's it's lovely. You go from Superman, you know, with the classic him on Krypton and Krypton being destroyed to him ending up at Pa and Ma Kent's. And, uh, you know, learning all of his his powers and, and being in school and dealing with bullies in high school and falling in love with Lana Lang. And uh, Superman, uh, while not graphically having having some boom boom, having some sex, uh, they're being the mention. And Superman, I mean, Superman has a relationship 
with the mermaid and then in book two superman joins the navy of all things and and can he cut it in the military service and and what is it like when he when he finds atlantis and and ends up dealing with literal mermaids and and submarines and uh and a drill sergeant that may know something about a secret and then you know superman obviously superman doesn't stay in the navy and become a a master chief but then superman you know how how does he end up finding out about brainiac and how does he meet batman and and is batman a dick yes he is and and the joker's in here and then you know lex luthor is involved and and it's superman's first coming out to metropolis and and meeting lois lane and of course saving lois lane and just all in all i have to say that uh frank miller and uh john romita jr just telling a really really dang good superman story uh i think of course you know danny doesn't like superman because he's wrong but uh, it's it's good. It's good stuff. And then, then the next one is Batman Damned, books one to three, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Lee Bermejo. Um, oh man, Batman Damned. You know, I I just you know got got done blowing Justice League Dark and just how much I really really enjoy like the connection to magic. And this this is uh you know the Joker may be dead, and this is Batman dealing with the world of magic coming up across Constantine and Etrigan the Demon and and the Enchantress and Dead Man and Swamp Thing and it's it's and crazy and yes I do have the copy of book one like I said where you get to see Batman's wiener and uh, there's there's a reason Batman is so confident I suppose but Zatanna also shows up in this and and Harley Quinn and Joker and then there's fire, and Enchantress might be tied into to events from from Bruce's youth and the murder of his parents, and it's it's just and lovely. And what I what I have to say is the the art by freaking Lee Bermejo is just so so gorgeous. So the Superman Year One art is good. Don't get me wrong; it is really good. I mean, John Romita is is amazing. But Bermejo's art in Batman Damned is just so freaking good. And it's like, I'm not photorealistic, but it just really, really like jumps off the page. And the way everything is drawn is just so dang good. Uh, the story the story is incredible, and I really, really freaking enjoy it. And uh, I like I like the way that, uh, that Azzarello does Batman. And uh, I... It's it's just really really freaking good. Like Batman Damned, I I can't recommend it more. And and the black label, of what I've read from it, is three for three. Because the other one to talk about is a uh, book one of Joker Killer Smile. This is uh, writer Jeff Lemire, artist Andrea Sorrentino, and colors by Jordi Belair. And I'll give Steve Wands a shout out because he's the letterer. But a, a, a psychiatrist is is trying to psychoanalyze the Joker to see if he can uh, save him. And, uh, of course, we know that didn't go so well for uh, Dr. Harleen Quinn. But uh, it's it's pretty crazy. And uh, it's just starting. But uh, you already see the Joker maybe get in his head. And there's, a, there's even a children's story called Happyville, which is very, very disturbing. And uh, the little conversations with the Joker are, are, are pretty sweet. And uh, what's what's going on with the psychiatrist that's uh, 
doing the psychoanalyzing is incredible and some people will always want to run what is beautiful and that ties into both the joker and to the psychiatrist and uh i'm really looking forward to reading more of the story and the the art is really really good too uh it's really pretty interesting because the joker looks more like uh the the suicide squad version of the joker but not really because there's also there's also more and it's just good it's really 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 well executed and all these all these three comics i recommend for you but uh i guess that's gonna wrap up this look at the distinguished competition i have successfully either entertained or bored you with a bunch more comic reviews but i don't feel guilty because like i said i made it a bonus episode, so you could have chosen to skip it yeah it's completely up to you uh there are a bunch of trades that I've read that I actually need to chat about at some point, so that might be an upcoming bonus ode coming coming soon to a not I shouldn't say coming soon at some point coming to a, a podcast near you. Uh, there I have actually started reading some more Marvel because uh, while well, I caught up with the DC that left in my my little box of of comics uh, the Marvel stuff, so I've actually read some Marvel and not not thought of notes or how I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to focus on DC. Uh, there are a few independent books that I've also read, and I need to catch up on Deadly Class because I'm all caught up on that. But uh, maybe after this semester of grad school is over, I will I will catch up right and proper, but don't count on it. Uh, but I guess the journey towards an unreachable goal is a fun thing. In the end, I am winning since I get to read the funny books I like so much, and hopefully you enjoy me rambling about them all. Uh, but that is enough, so we're going to close off this episode like we normally do. If you if you enjoy this podcast, go to uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast way you listen to it and drop a rating and say how much you enjoy all of this goodness. Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, and then there's a bunch of apps that pull from those sources. So the, the podcast is a lot of places. Of course, uh, according to anchor.fm, um, there's there's seven ways you can listen to the podcast. I thank you so much for uh, dealing with the little ad, which which makes me some pennies. Uh, really, you finished another bonus ode, the 18th bonus ode, as this podcast has been going. Uh, the ways you can contact me is at Wookie Riot on Twitter and Instagram. Just remember that's Wookie with two E's. Uh, you can also reach the show by email, laughitupfuzzballpodcast at gmail.com. There's the Facebook group, which is Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. Uh, that's, uh, I think the group number is 1-879-503-3562-6093. But just look up Laugh It Up Fuzzballs, Fuzzball with an S, and you'll find it. Uh, I, I always look forward to your comments. Hopefully you like these uh, comment catch-ups. I'm, I'm hoping just to get back to in the in the solo episodes, just talking about a few issues. And, and staying caught up that way. Uh, but we will see how that uh, how that works. But drop ratings, drop comments, join the Facebook group. And uh, just thank you for being a part of the hilarity. Uh, there's lots of ways to comment about the show if you're so inclined. So do it. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off. May the force be with us all. Uh, thanks for stopping by. You stay classy. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. And uh, TTFN, Wookie out talking about the distinguished competition and saying thank you for being a part of all this toodles friends bye ttfn